Welcome to the podcast for Bethesda Church of Huron, South Dakota. In today's message, Pastor Roy Burkett will be speaking on John chapter 6, verses 1 through 21. The title of today's message is The Sufficiency of Christ. Be ready to be challenged as you listen to Pastor Roy teach on the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. All right. If you'll turn your Bibles to John chapter 6, we're going to continue on with our series, Who Do You Believe? And today I've entitled the message, The Sufficiency of Christ. And we're going to read down through the first 21 verses, although we probably won't even get through all 21, so I should say The Sufficiency of Christ Part 1, because there's a lot here, so we probably might not even make it through our outline today, so... You might be nervous thinking there's five points, and he usually speaks 40 minutes on three points, so anyhow, we'll see how far we get. John chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. And the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did. They began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed three or Three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The sufficiency of Christ. You know, as I think about the needs that we have in our own lives, I hope that each of us, including myself, I think we all have a tendency to put God in a box. I know I have in my own life, and I'm sure if you were honest, you would say there are times in your life where you've put God in a box. And I would say this to each of us, that let's give God a bigger box, and let's even allow him to destroy our box. When we realize how great God is and how sufficiency Jesus Christ is, I trust that each of us will really challenge our thinking and our ability to trust 
Christ. Here we have before us two signs that point to Jesus being the Messiah. The feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on the water. And today we're going to look at five applications that we can see here in this passage that we can apply in our lives. The first one is a teaching opportunity. Jesus, being the eternal rabbi, never missed an opportunity to teach. And he always used, it seemed like, wherever he was, was the classroom. You know, there's one thing that is unfortunate that I think oftentimes our learning about God, and it should happen in the church, but it should also happen outside the church. It should happen out there when we're out in the world that Jesus wants to teach us things as we are going through our experiences of life. And that's what he did. He took the very experience where they were to teach them something about himself, that he was in fact the Messiah. Luke tells us if we were to look at this account, all four gospel writers talk about the feeding of the 5,000. So we know it is a very significant event teaching us about Jesus being the Messiah. Luke adds that Jesus had been teaching the crowd about the kingdom of God as well as healing those who needed healing. So he was teaching about the kingdom of God to say, I am the Messiah. I have a kingdom that is not of this world. And you, I'm going to prove to you once again with these signs that I am who I claim to be. The crowds continue to grow and swell with attendance. And I'm sure some people in the crowds were like the paparazzi. They were only there to say I was a part of what was going on. They didn't really have any particular interest maybe in devoting their life to Jesus Christ. They were only interested in being a part of the crowd. And there are some people that way with church. You know, they come, they hear the message, but there's no life change. They're a part of the crowd, but they're not really giving their life to Jesus. And I trust if that's you, that you would give your life to Jesus. Here's what happened the numbers magnified the problem. There were 5,000 plus people. It says 5,000 men besides women and children. And if you can get any number of people based on whatever commentary you look at, but they say in excess of 7,000 people. Uh, But then the other problem was there was only five loaves and two fish. So that was a major, major problem, wouldn't you say? An incredible need here. So Jesus asked the question, where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? Simple question. It was a test though. Notice it says down in verse 6, he asked this only to test him. It was a test. Tests are designed to develop our faith. Jesus asked this in in reference to the fact of his lack of faith. And what did Philip do? Right before we get to what Philip did, tests also display what is in our hearts. What was he trying to do? He was trying to show Philip what was in his heart, what he really believed about Jesus. And he does the same for us. What test are you going through right now that Jesus is trying to reveal to you what you really believe about God? Maybe you are going through a very difficult time in your life right now Do you know that you're going through that time because Jesus is trying to reveal something about himself to you or something about himself to me as we go through those things? How did Philip do? Oh, here's here's one other point before that. A faith that is not tested cannot be trusted. Our faith has to be tested to be trusted. 
Philip's answer addresses not where, but how. Notice in the text. Philip says in verse 7, answered him, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread. Jesus wasn't asking him how much we need. So what did Philip do? Being the mathematician that he was and the calculator, he starts calculating his mind. He looks at the crowd and he's like, well, there's 50 over here and 50, you know, all these people. And he started multiplying in his head what needed to happen. And he's like, you know, we don't have enough money. Jesus didn't ask him if he had enough money. He said, where are we going to go? And so he, would, he was so flabbergasted on what was going on that he didn't even ask, answer the, the right uh, question. Someone once said that four out of three people, though, struggle with math. Think about that. Four out of three people struggle with math. So there you have it. Philip was probably struggling uh, with math. Someone said now that Congress has made it possible for Americans to buy gold, somebody should make it possible for us to buy groceries. You see the prices in the grocery store lately? I mean, it's kind of tough. They say, you know, an optimist today would be a supermarket customer who actually hands out his hand and expects change. (laughs) I mean, you think about that. I thought that was funny. (laughs) Sometimes it's just a challenge to find a grocery cart that actually has all four wheels going in the same direction. Have you been there? I mean, you know, you're sitting there and anyhow. Moving right along. All right, so here's the, the deal. Eight months' wages would not buy enough for each one to even have a bite. So what has Jesus done? He's magnified the problem. It's absolutely incredible, the size of this problem. Our human limitations to solve our needs, we are very limited to solve our needs. See, if there would only been 50 people there, or if there had been 150, Philip, being the calculator that he was, Andrew being the person, they would have figured out a way to feed all these people without Jesus' help. And that's exactly what Jesus wanted them to see. The problem is way beyond you guys. You can't figure it out. You don't have the resources. You don't have the money. And you don't have the food. And there's too many mouths to feed. Wow. Perfect. Exactly where Jesus wanted them to be. So they would begin to look to Jesus. Many people are blind to the fact that they have a need, a need that they cannot meet. Therefore, they do not acknowledge that they have a problem. The first thing they needed, Jesus needed them to do was to acknowledge they had a, a need, a problem. And to do that, we have to humble ourselves, don't we? We have to humble ourselves and say, I've got a need. I've got a problem. Jesus wanted us to do that. Here's the lesson. Christ is sufficient to meet all of my needs needs all my needs there's no one else that is sufficient to meet all my needs my wife can't meet all my needs my children can't meet all my needs you can't meet all my needs the government can't meet all my needs only Jesus is sufficient to meet all of my needs and all of your needs whatever your need is it is within the realm of God's ability and resources What does he say in Philippians 4.19? My God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He is able to meet all of our needs. He magnifies our human limitations to showcase his power. We are woefully inadequate to meet the daily demands of our lives. We cannot meet our needs apart from Christ. A.W. Tozer said this, the Christian is strong or weak depending on how closely he has cultivated the knowledge of God. 
Jesus was trying to reveal them something about himself so they'd have a greater knowledge of who God was. I can meet all your needs. Cultivating a knowledge of God is crucial. Secondly, Sinclair Ferguson said, knowing God is your single greatest privilege as a Christian. It is a privilege for Jesus to reveal himself to us and us to know who he is. It is the greatest privilege we have as a Christian. And I hope we don't bypass that. Secondly, a willing lad. Notice the lad's identity. It doesn't tell us who he is. It just says he's a boy. We don't know his name. His name was not the important thing. What he had was important. And what he gave was important. So as far as his identity, all it says is he's a boy. And he had five loaves and two fish. That's what he had. The lad's generosity What did he do with it? He gave it all to Jesus. What an example of how we need to behave and how Jesus wants us to give everything we have to him. He is sufficient. We've got to give it all to him. I also want you to notice the lad's poverty, though. How do we know he was poor? He had five, the Bible says, barley loaves. And notice it says small in verse 9. Small Barley loaves, two small fish. Barley represented people who were poor because they didn't have things to buy fancier things. It was like a small round piece of pita bread. And if we look in Luke chapter 11, we would probably learn that possibly three loaves might feed one person. (laughs) So, I mean, it was very inadequate. They didn't have the resources to do that. And yet, his generosity, he gave it all. I love this. Notice in a church bulletin, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. He also accepteth from a grouch. (laughs) He'd rather us give cheerfully and give everything we have, but if you're going to be grouchy about it, he'll still take it. So at least give it and be grouchy. But you lose the blessing when you do that. So be willing to do that. We should also give freely and generously and in accordance with what we've reported on our income tax. (laughs) Should have probably said this before April 15th, huh? Um, Anyhow. I love this little poem by John Bunyan. There was a man, some called him mad. The more he gave, the more he had. I love that. The more he gave, the more he had. The lad was willing to give. I want to share with you. You've heard this song by Billy Sargent. Let's reflect on the words for a minute about giving. This song is powerful. He heard the preacher say a single dime can feed a hungry boy or girl with nothing to eat. So he pulled a dollar from the pocket of his jeans and he asked his mama, how many will this feed? She just smiled and when she told him 10, he reached back again. What if I give all I have? What will that gift do? My child, a gift like that could change the world. It could feed a multitude. He didn't close his eyes or turn away. I can see him standing tall, he saw the need, and I can hear him say, what if I give all? 
Three birthday dollars could have bought a special toy, but he reminds me of another little boy who gave to Jesus a gift of fish and bread. I wonder if he said, what if I give all I have? What will that gift do? My child, a gift like that could change the world. It could feed a multitude. He didn't close his eyes or turn away. I can see him standing tall. He saw the need and I could hear him say, what if I give all? What if we gave all? We only have one life to give. The lad is a wonderful example of Jesus taking what he gave him and multiplying that gift. You see, sometimes I think we put ourselves down and we say, you know, I don't have much to give. That little boy did not have much to give in relationship to the need. The needs are overwhelming, but what he did give is what he had. God doesn't ask us to give what we do not have. He merely asks us to give what we do have. And that means our gifts, our talents, our abilities, everything we have. Some of you have the gift to teach, but you don't teach. Maybe you need a little training. Get the training. That's why we have an Ambassadors for Christ class. We're taking a break for the summer. Some of you have the ability to sing. Some of you have the ability to give. Some of you have the ability to lead. You need to use those gifts and give it all to Jesus. You see, maybe you have some other commitments that are more pressing, and you need to get rid of those commitments and embrace the commitment to Christ. Because there isn't anything more important than that uh, and what we should be doing to give all. Lesson, Christ is sufficient to multiply my gift to meet the needs of others. He takes what we have and he multiplies it. And he's able to use it in the lives of other people. And we've got to be willing to allow him to use us in that way. He wants to use us. The third thing we see here is a revealing faith. We see down in verse 10, Jesus says, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Now it would take faith to have all these people sit down when they know there's five loaves and two fish. (laughs) Jesus is revealing his incredible faith in his father that when he prays to his father and he thanks him for what is prepared, it's going to be multiplied. What an incredible faith. It was beyond what was physically present and visibly seen. And so many times, myself included, I only see what is there. Jesus sees what is not there. And I find that incredible. We see his recognition of his father. When he prays to his father, He says in verse 11, Jesus took the loaves, he gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And notice his simple prayer. He didn't go on with a big theological explanation, giving all the names of God and preaching or praying around the world and for all the mission, you know, it was none of that. It was just a simple prayer because it was a prayer of faith. And it's not the amount of prayer that we have, but it's our faith in God. And also notice his thankfulness. He thanks God 
for it. And it's a lesson for all of us to be reminded to be thankful for what God has done in our lives. You know, this event took place around the time of the celebration of the Passover. That is crucial because many, many people were coming into town on their way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Jewish Passover. We're not sure if Jesus attended or not. Usually he did, but maybe because of the hostility of the crowd, maybe he was staying away. We don't know for sure. But we do know that between these two stories about food, bread, and water... Jesus walking on the water, there's a connection to Passover. And what is that connection? Well, remember when Jesus delivered the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage, he led them through the Red Sea water. And then they were in the desert and wandered in the desert for 40 years, and Jesus provided water for them to drink. He also provided what? manna from heaven, food, bread from heaven. And so there's a connection between the Passover and these two stories of bread and water. They are linked because the Jewish mind was thinking about Passover, and every time they recounted of their history of God's deliverance, they would have to remember the story of going through water. They'd have to remember the manna coming down from heaven. So here Jesus uses manna and water. I mean, bread and water. The Jewish mind would have captivated that immediately. And so we see that. There was a story told of Emperor Charles V. He was trying to assassinate John Brentz, a friend of Martin Luther. Hearing of the plot, Brents barely had time to grab a loaf of bread and to hide into his neighbor's hayloft. But he hid there for 14 days. The bread was quickly gone, but the Lord sent a hen who showed up and laid an egg every day for 14 days. In this way, Brents was kept alive. On the 15th day, the chicken did not show up. And the reformer wondered what he would do. But from the street below came the cries, the cavalrymen are gone at last. And he was able to come out of hiding. God had provided for all of his needs for the time that he needed. In a similar way, a dog provided for the needs of another reformer, John Craig, who was arrested during the Inquisition. On the eve of his scheduled execution, Craig escaped, but while fleeing through the Italian back country, he ran out of food and money. Suddenly, a dog approached him with a purse in its mouth. Craig tried to drive the animal away, but the dog persisted in bringing the purse to Craig, and it was enough money to take him to freedom. There's no situation that God cannot deliver us out of. Christ is sufficient for all our needs. All of our needs. Christ is sufficient because of his faith in God. We need to put our faith in God. 
That's what Jesus was saying. Put your faith in me. Can you see who I am? Can you see what I'm about? Would you keep me in a box or are you going to let me out of the box? And let me do with you but only I can do with you. I can multiply your gifts. I can multiply your abilities. I can multiply your money. I can do what, I mean, he's God. He can do it. I wonder what God is going to ask Bethesda Church to do in the next few years that he will only do if we will step out by faith. What is he going to challenge us as a church family to do that will be greater than all of our resources? Wouldn't that be neat if God challenged us to do something like that? I think it would be absolutely awesome because then all the praise goes to him, all of it, and we can't take any. But he would be magnified, wouldn't he? Number four is a surprising solution. What was it? Verse 12, when they had all had enough to eat, He said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. They gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. (laughs) That's pretty surprising. You're thinking, man, the last guy, he's not going to get anything. There was more than enough. What a testimony to the power of God. I I think about this statement by W.E. Biederwolf. He said this, A man who can read the New Testament and not see that Christ claims to be more than a man can look all over the sky at high noon on a cloudless day and will not see the sun. In other words, you have to be blind to not see that who Jesus is. <laughs> As he reveals himself and his power and his miracles and his signs, we would have to be blind to not be able to see the sun on a cloudless day. Would not be able to see Jesus in the pages of this gospel. Everyone had more than enough. His wisdom and power to know and to do to meet the needs of people. He is able. He's able to meet the needs of a tiny toddler who is breaking their gums and cutting teeth and he's able to minister to the senior saint whose teeth gums hurt because he's losing his teeth. (laughs) I mean, it doesn't matter. From the cradle to the grave, Jesus is there and he is sufficient for all of our needs. I mean, that to me is such an encouragement to see that. And to know that he is everything that we need. Notice there were 12 baskets left over. So here's the challenge to us. Don't waste what we have been given. Jesus did not waste it. He collected it. I'm sure somebody ate it later on and used it. But don't waste what you've been given. John Piper wrote a book, Don't Waste Your Life. What are you investing your life in? Don't waste it. Invest it. Don't waste opportunities we have been given. There are many opportunities that we have to serve, to learn, to be trained. Don't waste the opportunity. 
You know, I've always said that sometimes it's a shame that ABF class and, you know, some of these training opportunities that we have are free because we don't invest then. And we miss it. We miss the opportunity, you know, instead of learning from it. A surprising solution. Everyone had more than enough. Less than Christ is sufficient because of his divine power. He is sufficient. The last one is a stirring response. Notice what happens in verse 14. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Because they remembered what Moses said, that there would be a prophet who would be raised up, who would be the Messiah, and they thought, well, here he is. But Jesus, notice in 15, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Why did Jesus do that? Because they wanted to make him king by force and have him overthrow the Roman power that was suppressing them and him to come in and take a political role and he would not take the political role. He wasn't going to do it through human effort. He was going to do it through the will and power of God. And so therefore he withdrew. It wasn't his way and it wasn't his time to do that. Let me just ask in this stirring response, signs of spiritual hunger. I think we can see signs of spiritual hunger in our world. Here we saw a bunch of hungry people physically, but Jesus is talking about spiritual hunger too. And there are people who are hungry spiritually. We can see them. We can identify. Let me just list a few things. Dissatisfaction with life. There are a lot of people in our world who are dissatisfied with life because they are spiritually hungry. And so what do they do? They try to satisfy that hunger through ungodly, illegitimate ways to satisfy it. Because they haven't come to the place where they are willing to recognize the sufficiency of Christ. That they are insufficient in and of themselves and they are dissatisfied so they try to find a way to get satisfied apart from Christ. Won't happen. So dissatisfaction with life. Another one is a misguided conscience. They have a misguided conscience and so they run after things and they don't take the time to look and see what the scripture says. And this is what I think it needs to happen and, and then things blow up, fall apart, mess up and they have a misguided conscience. Others practice deceit, lie, hide, cover things up. All of that is a reflection of spiritual hunger. Spiritual hunger. Hypocrisy. Spiritual hunger. Controlled by the flesh. Spiritual hunger. Bitterness, anger, and unforgiveness. I think we are living in unprecedented times where we are seeing more angry people on the face of the earth than ever existed before. It's unbelievable. We don't even have time to go there this morning. The number of angry people in our world. Revenge. <laughs> Do we hear that in the news? Spiritual hunger. Hopelessness. So we have 
a number of things that show spiritual hunger in our world. But the only remedy for spiritual hunger is the sufficiency of Christ. Let's stand for a word of prayer. I would just ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a minute. And as you do, can I just ask you a question? Are you finding Christ sufficient for your life? If you say no, maybe it's because you have a misunderstanding of who Jesus is. He is sufficient for all of our needs. The Bible clearly says that. Jesus is revealing God the Father to us through these miracles and these signs. And he wants us, as Sinclair Ferguson said, knowing God is your single greatest privilege as a Christian. And unfortunately, there's a lot of biblical ignorance in our world today because we develop our own definition of God rather than getting it from Scripture. We have to come back to the Bible and say, who does the Bible say God is? And go from there. Let me ask you a question. What size box are you using with God? What size box, I have to ask myself that question, am I using for God? Are you willing for God to enlarge your box this morning? Are you willing for him to destroy your box this morning? Not only as an individual, but what about us as a church? I wonder what steps God might ask us as a church to take in the future that will require a God-sized faith to believe him for the extraordinary, to believe him for something that is beyond the resources of Bethesda Church. I would like to be a part of that, wouldn't you? To be part of the history of God doing something that only he can do. Maybe you're here this morning and you are struggling in your personal life with something. Would you turn that over to Jesus this morning, whatever it is? The first step is turning over your heart to him in life. Handing over the steering wheel and saying, God, I want you to be in the driver's seat and I want you to take control of my life. Are you willing to give him control? God, I realize I'm a sinner. And I know that Jesus died on the cross and paid for my sin. That's the only way we can be forgiven and cleansed and find the sufficiency of Christ. He is sufficient for our sin, and he is sufficient for all of our other needs. Would you trust him? If you have a spiritual need in your life, be shaking hands at the door and would ask you to come by so we can talk with you. Also, as right before I close our service in prayer this morning, um, I would ask for our elders to meet. We're going to have a brief meeting um, in the, one of the classrooms here right outside the sanctuary. Um, and we'll try not to keep you too long for those who are able to stay today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much 
for sending your son Jesus, not just to die, but also to show us who you were, who you are, that you are the great I am, that you are sufficient for every need that we have. And God, you see our weak faith at times where we struggle to trust you. We struggle to remember how sufficient you are to meet all of our needs according to your riches and glory. Lord, I pray for that one who may be here today who is spiritually hungry and who is running around with an empty stomach spiritually, who is famished and who is dying spiritually. God, I pray that today they would come and take the bread of life in Jesus Christ and they would find him to be sufficient for their sin that the sacrifice of Jesus pays the penalty of their sin if they will only put their faith and trust in you Lord maybe there's others here this morning who are struggling with just something personally and need to be reminded of your sufficiency God I pray that each of us would be willing to have a larger box for you to work in or even to go a step further and say God destroy our box so that you can work freely in our lives and do what you want to do and do only what you can do as we give you like the little lad everything that we have and Lord then we can ask that question what would happen if we gave all if we gave all we had, what would that gift do in the body of Christ? Lord, thank you for being our sufficiency. Thank you for being our great God and King. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great Lord's Day. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you have any questions or want to know more about our church, please go to our website at www.bchweb.org or find us on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.